Our gospel lesson for today, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Over the years, I've been a big fan of fast food. I've eaten a lot of it in my day. I may be slowing down a little bit now here as I'm into my middle age years, but I'm a big fan of it. But I thought a lot about it, and it seems like there are some different categories of fast food, but when you get into that category, basically, regardless of what chain you're at, you're getting the same thing. And so, I think those chains all know that as well, and I think that is why they rely so heavily on advertising to be able to distinguish themselves from one another. Now, advertising is always an important thing, to be able to distinguish. And so one of the rules about advertising seems to be be memorable and make it just make it catchy. And that's why jingles seem to work so good, at least on me, because jingles tend to be set to music, and, and music is something important to me. I mean, who can think, or who can forget right now, we have ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it, for McDonald's. And there's another one, too, one that I thought was actually fairly new, just came out within you know, the last few years, and it's Have It Your Way for Burger King. Turns out, when I researched it, Have It Your Way is actually older than I am, so apparently Burger King has known they need to distinguish themselves for a while. But that idea that you can have the burger, and instead of just being an assembly line put together and they're all the same, you get to have it your way. You are the one who's most important. It's your way is the right way. And that idea, I think, is important and is fitting when we consider this passage. So I want you just to kind of tuck that idea away. Now, we see there's a few different sections of this gospel lesson that we've had today. We hear some narration. We hear that there's some more travel involved. But it seems that Jesus is kicking this whole thing off by asking a little bit of of feedback. Like, who do the crowds say that I am? This isn't the first time that we've heard this type of thing. Jesus is seemingly oftentimes looking for feedback. It's like, what are the people saying? Now we hear something, again, that 
has been hinted at before. Some people think he's John the Baptist. Some people think he's, he's Elijah, reborn. Some people think he's just one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks what is perhaps the more fitting question. He looks at the disciples, these, these individuals, these people who've been following him around for quite a while. They've seen a lot. They've heard a lot. They've experienced a lot. And he says, who do you say that I am? Now, at this point, we hear from Peter, and this is common. Peter is oftentimes the spokesman. He seems to be the, the, the voice for the disciples in a lot of different times, whether they really know what's going on or not. Oftentimes, we think of Peter as being very, very human and putting his foot in his mouth, and it seems like that happens here. But first, when Peter responds, he says, you are the Messiah. And it would seem that Jesus is pleased with this answer. Peter is the first person to say, you are the Messiah, or Christ, depending on which language we're looking at. And Jesus says, or at least he seems to say, yes, that's accurate. Now, let me tell you what that means. And as we hear in this next section, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man, which seems to be synonymous with, with his identity as Messiah, that the Son of Man must be betrayed. He will be handed over, he will be tortured, he will suffer, he will die, and he will rise again. Now we hear that Jesus is beginning to teach them that, and this isn't the only time that this pops up. We hear about it again in chapter 9, we hear about it again in chapter 10. Three times we have these things known as the passion prediction, when he flat out tells his disciples and seemingly anybody else that's with him, this is going to happen. Now as we hear that he's not only talking to to Peter, but he's talking to all the disciples and even the crowd, and he's talking about it openly as he begins to teach them. I get the sense that this is something that Jesus talks about a lot, not just the three times that it pops up directly, not just this one time, but that this is something he talks about a lot. And that he's trying to expel some ideas of what this is what it means. I am the Messiah, now here's what it means. Regardless of what's going on here, regardless of what might be happening behind the scenes, Peter does not seem impressed with what Jesus has to say. And we hear that Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Jesus says, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise again. And Peter's like, uh, I don't think so. Now, here in Mark, we don't actually hear what the rebuke of Peter is. We do hear about that in one of the other Gospels when this pops up, when, when Peter says, Lord, this must not be. But regardless of what's going on, Jesus is not having this rebuke of Peter, and the rebuke reverses. He throws it right back at him. But as we hear, Jesus is also looking at the other disciples. So it seems like he's not just talking to Peter. He's not just saying, hey, you've got this wrong, but he's telling all of them, and I can only imagine that whoever was around was hearing this as well. Get behind me. You are not setting your mind on divine things, but on human things. We have this rebuke. When Peter tries to stop Jesus for whatever reason, Jesus isn't having it. Now, as I wrestled around with this, as I thought a lot about this, I found myself wondering, what is it that Peter seems to be expecting? What are these human things that he is thinking about as opposed to the divine things that Jesus is talking about? And there's a lot of different possibilities about what Peter might be thinking in this moment. We don't know exactly. We can speculate. On one hand, maybe he's just flat out concerned for his friend. Like, Jesus, 
dude, you're my buddy. I don't want you to suffer and die. Maybe he's thinking about the fact that he has left everything to follow Jesus. And if Jesus dies, well, then the movement's pretty much over, and then he's going to have to go back home and try and pick up the pieces and start over again. Maybe the rest of the disciples are thinking that too. Maybe they're concerned that they're going to be considered guilty by association, and whatever happens to Jesus might ultimately happen to them too. We don't know. Maybe there's something bigger at play here as well. Maybe, just maybe, Peter is falling into the, the apprehension of, of what Jesus is talking about because of, of cultural assumptions about what the Messiah or the Christ is supposed to be. Now, if we think about that, the Messiah is God's anointed one. And maybe, just maybe, there there's, there's, could be different possibilities of what Peter thinks that means. In fact, there probably was. Scholars think there was a wide variety of understandings by this first century of, of what the Jewish thought about the Messiah would be. But maybe they're considering the Messiahs of old, the political leaders. If we go all the way back, like 900 to 1,000 years before these guys were walking around, there was King Saul, there was King David, there was King Solomon. They were literally anointed to be kings, to be the leaders. Then there's also religious individuals who have been anointed for special reasons. Literally, God has chosen them, and they pour oil on them. That's what anointed means, God's chosen one for a specific purpose. So who knows what these human things are that Peter's thinking about? But it seems, regardless of what might be going on in his head, it seems that he's probably tripping up at the idea of the Messiah being dead. Because, come on, what good is a dead Messiah? Regardless, when he tells Jesus this cannot be, when he speaks up and tries to dissuade Jesus, Jesus isn't having it, he might as well say, Peter, this isn't Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. Jesus has been honest about what being the Messiah means, and it means betrayal, and it means suffering, and it means death, but it also means resurrection. And from here, Jesus goes on to teach more. If you're going to come along with me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, this is what that means. And he makes this statement about pick up your cross and follow along after. Now there's, again, a lot of debate. What's that talking about? What does he mean there? Does he literally mean, hey, guys, I'm going to go be crucified, and if you're going to follow with me, you're going to be hanging right next to me? We could potentially make that argument. That might be a possibility, and that might even figure into what Peter was, was squawking about before. But think about this idea. What does Jesus say? He says, those who would speak to me, to my name and the gospel, those who would bear witness to it, must pick up their cross and follow me. Now, whether Jesus is being literal or metaphorical, maybe that doesn't really matter. Maybe what matters is the way that we are affected by that which we witness, by that which we see and hear or read about, that which we have been affected by. Now, how does that happen? In this particular case, when Jesus is talking to these individuals, he's talking to people who will be martyred people who will be killed. And folks, martyr, it literally means to bear witness to it. And what do they bear witness to? Well, they bear witness to the death of Jesus, but also the resurrection of Jesus. And they are changed by it. We hear in this point, they cannot wrap their heads around that which is divine, that which God is up to through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But 
following the resurrection of Jesus, they are changed. And by the time this is written down, by the time Mark's gospel is written down, thought to be about the year 70, like 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, almost everyone he's talking to is probably already dead. With one exception, there is one of the 12 disciples who is not martyred. One of them dies of old age. The rest are all killed for their faith. And if that's not picking up their cross and following after Jesus, I don't know what is. Their death bears witness to that which they believe. But where does that belief come from? Folks, I believe that this idea, that which we bear witness to, that which disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, whether it was the 12 disciples or anyone through the ages on down to us, as well as those who come after us, we are claimed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to what we have seen God being up to, whether we can make heads or tails of it or not. I've oftentimes said that whatever it was that God was accomplishing, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's above my pay grade. I don't understand it, but what I do try and bear witness to and what I think we all try and bear witness to from our own perspective is that the basis for what God is doing is somehow making relationship and harmony between humanity and between humanity and God a possibility. And that is only possible through the love and the grace and the mercy of God made manifest through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know how it works. I wish I did, but folks, it's above my pay grade. Why? Because I'm human, just like Peter, just like the disciples, just like you. When we think about these things, sometimes there are mysteries that we simply cannot understand. And there are aspects of what God is up to, and I believe continues to be up to, that we cannot wrap our heads around. And sometimes God takes action and invites us into something whether we like it or not. Sometimes it's about what God is inviting us into, not how we feel about it. It's not Burger King. We don't always get to have it our way. And I think that's important for us in the midst of an ongoing worldwide situation right now one that's been raging now for the better part of a year and a half that is a reminder for all of us that we don't always get to have it our way. That sometimes we got to take a step back and accept things as they are, whether we understand them or like them or not. And that seemed to be the situation that Jesus and the disciples were facing that day. Whatever it was that Jesus was up to, whatever it was that God was doing, it was bigger than Peter could understand. And I believe it still remains bigger than any of us can understand, even if we are given little glimpses, these little moments of revelation through the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is, is that we are invited into it, whether we fully grasp it or not. And that is a wonderful thing, one that will ultimately come to fruition on that promised day out there in that unknown future when Jesus returns and we are all fully embraced, fully immersed, fully a part of the depth, the ultimate depth of whatever it is that God is up to.